0: Dawn Ennis.
1: I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb.
0: You're in the Transporter Room this week. We are blessed to have someone who actually works in the White House, but no, he's not working for the Biden administration. He's not someone who worked in the Trump administration. He covered both. He is award-nominated and award-winning journalist. Chris Johnson from the Washington Blade. He'll be joining us in just a few minutes. But Carly, speaking of Washington. There was a op ed this week. An op-ed from the former UN ambassador to uh the UN from the US. Nikki Haley talking about trans athletes. What did y'all think about that?
1: Well, here's the thing. Now, first it was in the national review. Oh boy. And the I mean, come on, really, it's the it's the national review. What do you expect? I mean, I mean, they they have no, con. they have, the only, the only thing that they know of LGBTQ people is that they fear and hate them. Let's just be real about what the nat- National Review is. And normally, I wouldn't give a hack writer at the National Review at the time of day, Dawn, but the person who wrote this op-ed isn't, uh, isn't a conservative hack writer. They're a former governor of South Carolina. They were an ambassador to the United Nations, and they are on the short list of hopefuls for the Republican nomination in 2024.
0: She said she was also a former athlete.
1: May, yeah, and you know what, she had, a, she had a nice little compelling story, I will say at the start of that article, that may be the most truth that you've seen from any Republican, and it was probably a half truth at that, because you know to them, true, to them, it's alternative facts. <clears throat> but one, But when you have a person who seeks to run the country, you have a person who is seeking higher political office you know there has to be a premium on telling the truth and as expected they lie like a rug over at the national review and nikki haley's no exception but of course what do you expect a trans campaigner speaks out against biden's transgender activism they someone else refuses to bow to transgender identity amidst the national review but the worst thing is so much she gets wrong To begin with, once again, for all the people who claim not to know, the only thing the executive order said is that the federal government will uphold the law and will not uphold the discrimination and the policies of the previous administration. That was it. And another thing, Nikki, really, you you seek to run the country one day you're seeking a presidential you're seeking the presidential seat the oval office and you're using terms like biological man really really nikki come on you've already told you've already told on yourself with that one and
0: who she is yes but 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 also i'm not surprised i'm not
1: either but the thing is if you seek to you're telling us who you are it's true but also another thing is you're trying to make yourself the defenders of Title IX. And you're in the party that's been trying to kill it since its exception. The Republicans have tried every way possible to kill it, kill this thing since 1972. And now they're talking about being defenders of it. Oh, it's the same old thing. but And we know who they are. But still, this is, I mean... For someone who it's one thing if it's just some some kid who's a law student at Liberty University trying to build their brand is one thing. But a person who ran a state, a person who represented this country in the United Nations, granted one of the most undiplomatic diplomats ever to serve as ambassador to the United Nations, in my view. But when you're when you're seeking to be president of the United States, if that's an ambition for yours, you got to do better than that. You you can't even think about doing something like this. This should disqualify you out of hand.
0: Well, somebody knows something about covering presidents of the United States. He is an award-winning journalist covering the White House. Carly, please set coordinates for Washington, D.C. and beam up Chris Johnson at the Washington Blade.
1: Energize one to beam up. Hey, thanks, guys, for having me.
0: It's our honor and pleasure. Let me just go over the list here. This is quite impressive. In 2020, you won the award for best newspaper article. And this year, you joined Carly and I and Sid Ziegler and Alex Reimer, whose podcast you've also been a, a member of, a, a guest of, for your piece, States Won't Collect LGBTQ Data on COVID-19 and Advocates Aren't Happy. Congratulations, Chris.
1: Thank you
2: so much, yeah, it's such a, an, a great honor to be uh, nominated again I after winning the category last year. So um, I just I uh, feel the love from Glad definitely.
0: That's awesome, that's awesome. This is Carly's first nomination, my second, Alex's first. Sid has so many nominations, I think he probably has like a shelf of nominations. But um, we're so glad to have you on because for us, we watched the inauguration live, when we streamed it live on Facebook. And it was such an emotional moment. It actually took me a day to actually sort of like process all the emotions I was feeling. A friend of mine compared it to being, she's a sexual abuse survivor. And she said it was like finally seeing that the ex-boyfriend finally you know, was gone. And, and, and she had to deal with the emotions connected with that. The four years of dealing with Trump As a journalist, one of our jobs, of course, is to separate our feelings from the work we do, but I don't know how you can separate being a gay man, an out gay man, from an administration that basically didn't treat you as equal.
2: Right, and that is kind of the paradox of being a journalist in some way, because you're supposed to like keep, be you know, be fair, be objective, keep your personal, views out of uh, your reporting. But I mean, at the same time, let's face it, what is your sense of what is news? What's gonna be to people? What's, you know, what should be, uh, is worth reporting on? That's all coming from your personal, uh, your, your personal uh, beliefs and your backgrounds that all feeds into uh, your position as a reporter. So it's like, I mean, objectivity is an ideal. And I do strive to be objective My journalism. I wanna be fair. I want to give people I want to hear, uh, you know, uh, make sure I, I, both sides as warranted, and, you know, just try to get as much uh, depth and detail as possible without inserting myself too much into the story. But so much of what I, uh, I, I do in journalism is just so shaped by my personal experience, uh, that it would just be really laughable for me to say that I, I just abandoned one, uh, abandon my personal experience when I go into my journalism. I mean, so, like I said, it's a paradox, but somehow you have to achieve it. And that's kind of like the struggle, I think, with journalism that we, all, that we all that we all deal with.
1: Well, Chris, coming up through the ranks, what was it like for you having to balance who you who you are as a gay man with who you are as Chris Johnson journalist? What was what was straddling that like? What were the challenges? What were the pitfalls? But also what were the triumphs?
2: You know, one thing I'm thinking about was. You know, when I first came to D.C. to start my journalism career, I didn't really have everything sorted out yet in terms of sexual rotation, all that. And um, my first job was at a defense publication. And it was, you know, it was, I thought it was very exciting. It was right at the height of the Iraq War. And I was there to was gonna report on uh, matters at the, at the Pentagon. But I was working in a very conservative environment. Don't Ask, Don't Tell was on, was was in place. I wasn't in the military. so. To be, you know, that technically that law didn't apply to me, but applied to a lot of people that I worked with, and or try to get like, you know, uh, was interviewing and, and sourcing with, and so I was coming out as a as a gay man, but I kept that part of me completely closed off for me from from the, my workplace environment.
0: And what year was that, Chris?
2: See, so yeah, I started in two thousand. I, I came to I came here in two thousand five, and. Uh, that whole that that lasted until 2008. So, so that was a very challenging thing for me to do. Here I am trying just kind of getting my everything sorted out with my sex orientation based and and then I'm having I'm working in this very conservative environment. Um, I'm just there just trying to get some work experience in my belt and. I mean, the job that I had was I, I, I think I got some really great job skills working for this company. Don't get me wrong, but it was very conservative, and I—I I, it was just not the right place for me. And, um, and so like then i, I was come, I was just searching around, and I saw that the Washington Blade needed a reporter, and I uh, said, "Well, you know, I was—I think I had just like come out like not to my parents, not too long uh long earlier." And I was like, well, you know what? I think I'm just gonna apply for this job and see what happens. And so I applied for it. I had the job interview. Uh, they say they, they want me and and I like, I didn't really know what I was gonna do with LGBTQ journalism at the time. It was like, and this is 2008. And I, I just, we just didn't have the same kind of, it wasn't as like it wasn't like an lgbtq everything that like you know NBC out or anything like that and and so i thought i was doing something very alternative very in the back room and you know very uh uh very different and so but i thought you know what just give it a shot just trying to like you know explore this part of yourself i was very excited i was coming out and i was you know i was coming out personally and i thought why well, can i explore myself professionally too at the same the same venue so i thought it was very exciting and as you know As I was doing that, and then so on my way out from this conservative defense publication, people were asking me, so what are you going to (laughs) do? And I'm like, well, I'm going to get a job working for the Washington Blade. And like, I remember telling two people on my way out, and they just could not, they couldn't handle it. This just vindicated me that they weren't going to be able to handle the fact that I was gay. They are just like, oh, um, well, I understand that. Uh, Oh, yeah, well, that seems to be a rising publication. They kind of just like very shocked about it and just didn't really know how how to respond with it. Respond to it. Um, I would like to think that even though there was a conservative environment, that that and that was it was back. That was two thousand eight, and that was thirteen years ago now. I would like to think that if I were to say that this time around, I would, or if I were working the publication, out, it would really not be as much as an issue. I know that you know, Donelson's law was repealed um, just recently. Biden uh, lifted the transgender military ban, so the the environment's a lot more different. I mean, there was even like you know, L- LGBTQ outreach during the Obama administration uh, it for, in terms of uh, military enlistment. So I would like to think that things are a lot more different now. You um, hope, <laughs> um, But I, I do imagine that there's probably uh, there's some conservative um, uh, that's uh, remnants, uh, remnants there. Um, so, you know, I'm, I kind of forget where I was going with this. I'm sorry, but I kind of got off of the story. The no. question to me was some troubles. How did I like emerge from this? And that's the story yes. to me. That whole story of doing, of uh, uh, working for this conservative environment before I came to the Washington Blade, that, that really occurred to me. So then I got the job at The Blade. And of course, The Blade is like a very small publication. And um, I'm basically having to build up what this job is. I mean, they just, they don't really have like, it, it was a lot more, Blade, when I was working, when I first started working there, it was a lot more locally focused. And here I was, it's like, i kind of used to like writing articles on the federal government because I was in this defense publication. So I started doing more federal stuff and um, you know, and then I was doing good stories. And so they encouraged that. And then I started going on to the White House uh, when they, when Obama took office to like ask questions, about what happening. I questioned about what was going on with Don't, ask, Don't Tell repeal and uh, other issues. And then I, started, I just really uh, took to it. And then this job as being like a White House reporter for an LGBT publication, right now, the the only LGBTQ publication in the White House press corps. I just kind of evolved from that so And yeah, then I'm a member of the White House Correspondents Association. Um, and I've been to the White House Correspondents Dinners. The the White House Correspondents Association has given me uh, a distinction uh, for the Merriman uh, Smith Award for an article I wrote uh, about Trump firing his HIV AIDS counsel. I mean, first oh, report that.
0: Oh, I love those <laughs> dinners. I miss those dinners. Man, those were the best they were they definitely were fun they definitely were so like there's just it,
2: it it was you got to tell everybody about the I mean, third prom right <laughs> exactly it's third prom to be to be uh, i mean it's it's, it's just kind of like fun to like celebrate with your guild and other reporters and like mm-hmm. in Hollywood comes in and then you have the president there and at least that's how it was during the, uh, during the Obama years. Of course, yeah. Trump really so took a whole we'll Maybe
0: next year. Who knows? I don't think it's going to happen this year. I don't think it's going to happen this year either, unfortunately. So you mentioned that the Blade is a small publication. And full disclosure, I used to write for the LA Blade. Um, tell me about, and, and tell our listeners about how it works. Because you are, as you mentioned, the only out LGBTQ journalist assigned by any publication to cover the White House. But obviously, there must be a team of people working with you to tell your stories. Can you tell us a little bit about that teamwork and how it works or do you just write stuff and it gets published and and that's how the awards got assigned and stuff? I would
2: say that for this job, I think that in terms of within the, it requires a lot of independence. As, on your part as a journalist, you, you mean you are really, my boss really requires you to like, really light your own fires basically there. He's not gonna like say, okay, oh, Chris, I wanna write a story on this and do a story on this. You need to do your investigation. You need to know what news is gonna be breaking. You need to know what stories will be good. So it requires a lot of like, uh, independent work on your part. And cause you're also the one closest to the ground and you're like hearing what's the, uh, what, what what the changes in the, uh, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the scene are. So, uh I mean we have we do uh, collaborate a little bit in terms of like we apprise ourselves like you know at our weekly meeting who's doing what and then we offer uh, uh, some input but you know pretty much everyone has got their own focus and what they want to do and uh, then it's mostly like if uh, you look on your stories and I have more and more I usually I have one in-one contact with uh, uh, with my boss in case I'm bringing into like a difficult story or a challenging story or something that might get us sued if we don't you know' uh, Cross, uh, you know, cross our and dot our eyes and all that stuff. So, I mean, on the whole, I would say it's a really independent endeavor. But I do have, I, I, I do have a, uh, you know, an, I, a you know well-established team of people. And the Washington Blade is the oldest LGBT newspaper, and so we have a lot of legacy behind us, and a lot of uh, that really helps us out quite a bit.
0: Just celebrated, was it fifty years last year?
2: Was it uh, last year? Uh, years ago, uh, now <laughs> two years ago, yeah. Oh,
0: time flies. Yeah. Uh, I have to ask though. The difference between the current White House spokesperson versus all of the ones you dealt with before, Kaylee McInerney and all those. Right. What's the difference?
2: <laughs> well, the major difference is that there's just like good announcements that are coming in terms of LGBTQ rights that things that our readers are gonna welcome, like I had this really great last briefing I was at. I was able to get Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, to make news about the LGBTQ memorandum Biden would sign late, later that day, and so that was a positive news story for the LGBT community. And uh, you know, and what was great about that is that like like every major news network tweeted that out, like me in the video of like me asking Jake Sullivan this and him making news about the about the presidential memorandum. So that was great. And then in the same news conference, uh, I asked her about the uh, Biden's commitment to the equality. Uh, Biden's commitment to the Equality Act legislation that would uh, ban anti lgbtq discrimination under, under federal law. And Jen Psaki told me, well, he, she, uh, Biden stands by his campaign promise to uh, sign that in law within 100 days. So that's like the biggest difference that uh, there's just welcome news from the, uh, you know, from this, from, from the White House that our community wants to hear that it's, a, it's being supportive on uh, unequivocally uh, on, 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 on her issues. Now, um, and like for Kaylee McEnany, um, she was basically there to go into single combat with the press. Um, and to her credit, I mean, she didn't need to call on me. She did call every time she had a briefing and I was there, she would call on me and don't give her too much credit for that. It was also in the time of COVID. And there's like not that many people in the briefing room anyway. So uh, it would be a lot harder for her to get, get away from me. I mean, but of course, it wasn't about it was it was them being defensive about uh, you know uh, what's going on with uh, the with LGBTQ issues. For example, like when the administration was litigating against couples uh, who were seeking to have a child overseas by a surrogate, um, and but not able to get uh, U.S. citizenship for their child, uh, she was like, "Well, those cases are about." Uh, surrogacy, not sexual orientation, or it basically that she'd be on the defensive for the most part. And then there's one time when I asked her about why about the uh, uh, why LGBTQ people were omitted from the World AIDS Day proclamation, and she just made up a flat out uh, falsehood about how. Well, I think you know the president was the first to put out a red ribbon out in front of the White House. So, so there. Uh, well, she, Trump was not the first person to do that. Uh, both Obama and George W. Bush did it, and george w bush is doing it it's not really all that much of a you know uh, a uh, a a a a stride for the lgbtq community um
0: love saying first biggest first (laughs) greatest right
2: so like the nature of the news is happening i would have to say though that like um in terms of like what's happening behind the scenes like i think some things are still kind of getting into place like i'm i'm not quite sure who I email, and I email this one person, and then I get like another person responding, and there's so I email another person, and then I don't get a response. And um, and I just think they need to have like what who's doing what a little more organized yet, but it's been like, it hasn't even been a month yet. So um, I fully expect that that would be a, uh, that that's gonna, that's just gonna come around. Um, and, but I mean, so far, like the, I I'm, it is this kind of a welcome change. I'm sure our readers are like welcoming the news that we're getting from the White House that like these, these wonderful, these policy developments, like the two executive orders that Biden signed, uh, for LGBTQ rights in the first week of his administration, one implementing the BOSLOC decision, the other one ending the transgender military ban. Then there was the memo, uh, warning LGBTQ human rights nation, uh, worldwide. And, um, so there's so much positive news for the community in this administration.
1: Gut feeling as a reporter. Equality act in one hundred days. Can they do it?
2: I'm conflicted about this. Because I am such and not by na by like default an optimistic person. And I just like see a world in which we, you know, all hold hands and you know, you know, sing uh, kumbaya and come to agreement on something and and uh, and I like to think that that's going to happen. And then, uh, you know, as soon as Biden gets the recovery act done, that, things are going to start with the equality act and, uh, they're going to find, you know, the house is going to probably pass it very easily. The Senate with the filibuster in place, they're going to either need to junk the filibuster or get 10 Republicans. I don't think there's a lot of appetite for junking the filibuster. So you got to get 10 Republicans. And then, if you want to get 10 Republicans, you have to ask, what price are you going to pay to get that law passed? And it might be very ugly, as you guys were pointing out with uh, what Nikki Haley just wrote uh, in the in the uh, the National Review this month. I would I I don't know what's gonna, I don't know what the, it might be something along those lines, um, or the community might say, you know what, we're just gonna, you know. Uh, wait, we're not, uh, well, wait for we get more votes, wait for we don't have to deal with this crap. We want to get this law. We don't want to have to, you know, we don't have to to compromise on civil rights. And so uh, we're not going to do that for uh, this legislation. Um, Or it might be, I I just think that if it does happen a hundred days, it's going to take a lot of uh, talk and a lot of both sides, uh, you know, reaching across the aisle um, in, in a way that we haven't seen in a long time Uh, But, you know, I do think it can happen. I don't want to rule it out. I am an optimist. I don't want to rule it out. I think this might happen. I think that there is a possibility that it it could happen. Um, Might be not exactly 100 days, maybe like 103 days or something. I don't know. But I mean, like, I think that there is a path for this. And if like everything kind of comes together, I mean, kind of come to certain agreements, then it it can be resolved. I just, uh, I do wonder if it's not going to be pretty getting there. And then if, if, if like the alternative that's presented before us is going to be acceptable maybe we'll, maybe we'll, the community will just say i'm sorry we're not going to compromise in that way so we're not we're just going to wait we're not going to do it so um and we had the landmark decision for bostock last year maybe we'll decide that's better than the, what, what would be they're offering us in congress i don't know a lot's to be decided yet quality act's going to be introduced in the uh, week of february 22nd and that will
0: get the process going there's a headline for you We have to take a break, pay some bills, but on the other side of this break, we're gonna talk to Chris a little bit more about trans athletes and what he sees from his perspective in the White House covering this Biden administration. Plus, turns out, this dude loves Star Trek. Well, Star
1: Trek, (laughs) coming
0: up after this break, stay with us, you're in the Transporter Room.
1: And we're back here at the Transporter Room, along with my co-host, Don Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And joining us, award-winning reporter from the Washington Blade, Chris Johnson with us. Chris, covering that White House beat and doing a great job of it. I mean, if nothing else, you've been turned—you're a story-a-day kind of guy. That's one of the first things I'm, no- I'm noticing. Just, I mean, you had, you'd spoken earlier about how much more positive— the new the news has been especially for LGBTQ people like us. Yeah. But I want to even go deeper than that. How much different is it as a whole in that press room now? How much well, I mean, different is this atmosphere, even with January sixth? Do we are we seeing a different wind in Washington? Is this atmosphere different?
2: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, Jen Psaki has made the White House briefings boring again, and a lot of people like that. Because there's just not that confrontation that Kaylee McEnany had. There's a lot of like, well, unless your last name is
0: Ducey. <laughs> yeah,
2: there's that. Yeah, but I mean, uh, it's just that, the, like, there was a lot of jadedness. I think from the uh, like, especially in the last days, like really after uh, January 6th. I mean, really, and like the, like after the election, there's a lot of like jadedness uh, and the uh, you know, and the and the between the, the press and the and the White House staff and. Um, it's just you can, you can there's a palpable antagonism, and I think that the White House staff was actually under guidance to be rude to the, the press and the, and the White House. And um, so, I mean, it's just like there's like this kind of this animosity and this like feeling of uh, things are not like this is not uh, things are running as they should. Now we have a new administration. A lot of the people are from the Obama administration. So they are old hands coming out. There's like kind of like a a more uh, experienced people coming in and uh, And there's a lot more like sense of like knowing how to get things um, Right, at least for the, you know, for the front end of it for the briefing and so it's just a palpable feeling of like things are getting back to normal. I think government is running as it should be, as as it has in the past. Uh so that's kind of the difference.
1: No, just now also, first off, yes, Jensaki is the new is real life CJ Craig. I really I see <laughs> that. I, I see that. But also just going just going beyond. I mean I mean, at one level you're in the press room, you have the press pass, you're talking to the sources, but also you're out and about in the community. You're probably hitting the watering hole afterwards. You might be playing a gay softball league or two. What are what is the community pulse that you're getting in terms of? In terms of seeing Pete Buttigieg as Secretary of Transportation, seeing Rachel Levine as an undersecretary for HHS what are you what is kind of the pulse of the of the community from what in the circles you're running in terms of seeing lgbtq people not just in the outreach sectors of a particular administration but as cabinet officials pushing regulations helping to build policy
2: i I mean i i a lot of people are recognizing this and Grateful for the opportunity that I've seen, and a lot of people are trying to get in as part of this, um, and seeing an opportunity uh, with the new administration. I have to say, COVID is really making things a lot more difficult for me to get like a like a vast swath of people to. understand what they. Are. I mean, I have my sources. I talk with them and uh, and and do various ways of communication, and. Uh, there's just so much. Uh, a lot of them are are very optimistic, um, um, and we're in a honeymoon honeymoon phase right now. And the from what I've seen in the LGBTQ community, so uh, I mean, a lot of optimism. COVID is really making things more complicated in terms of like outright celebration when we can't like gather in places like we like we used to, and um, but. Uh, within like the sparse, like, uh, it's, it's the sparse, um, the sparse field of uh, people I've been engaging with. I just feel like there's people are excited and ready for the change.
0: So when I worked at Politico, the folks who ran it had a public stance that not only would they not reveal what political affiliation that they belonged to, they didn't vote. They felt that even voting would be a betrayal of their job as a unbiased and fair journalist to every party. May I ask you, would you disclose what political party you belong to and tell us why or why not? Well, Don, I think I'm going to keep that to myself
2: because (laughs) I want to uh, maintain like a level of fairness and in my aspiration for objectivity, I think that it's best that I keep that to myself. Of course, I do have some uh I, I, i'd be lying if i said i didn't have like you know things i thought about. were uh, uh uh didn't have political views but uh I, I i i don't really care to announce them and especially i will say because i I'm a journal as, as a as a journalist i do uh want to be accessible to people of all political stripes i don't discriminate with respect to political views with any of my sources i mean i just talk to all sorts of people from all from uh, from both sides of the aisle from and within the aisle too, I mean, like, and within the community too, all letters of the LGBTQ community. And so, I have people. I, I definitely want uh, you know people to feel like they can uh, you know share their stories with me. Uh, so, I, uh, so, and so, I, I I will, however, say that I do vote in the elections because I think that. And I don't want to like knock people who actually I have this like philosophy. They think that that's not going to, that's going to betray their, that's, that's, that's not for them. It's going to betray their, uh, their journalistic standards. But I just think that you really can't get out of it. If you're growing to people, then you, well, I just don't vote. I just didn't vote. Then you're also kind of betraying a political view because then you're, uh, saying that, you know, what's happening is acceptable. You don't need to have change. There's implications for that. You really can't get out of it. So I mean, uh, but even by declaring by declaring that you're you're not going to vote then it's almost like declaring who you're voting for in a, in a weird way
0: in a weird way sure yeah.
1: Yeah. So i'll tell you one thing oh, yeah. for me as a for me as a journalist i believe you must vote because that constitution that first amendment that's our business and that should be protected at all costs and one way you protect a free press is a free vote that's my feeling it. on it And it's
0: secret, <laughs> so until it's no longer a secret i'd say you know i mean we're very um, clear about where we uh, stand. Harley's a socialist, for gosh sakes. Um, but
1: Hey! It's true! Don't say, hey. hey Are you, you not? S- you say it like it's a dirty word.
0: Okay. is <laughs> a socialist. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and I'm just going to say that I'm a progressive, and I was raised Republican and conservative, and then I woke up. Um, <laughs> the thing that's really at the core right now is that we have very long memories in the trans community. We remember when Barney Frank and others threw us under the bus to try and um, get LGBT rights, well, LGB rights, but not trans rights. And we're very concerned that with this new group that's uh, been formed to uh, save women's sports, uh, to um, throw us a bone in terms of trans equality, that the Biden administration is gonna be concerned that trans athletes, still need to be marginalized or restricted. And there's an entire, you know, there's a there's a fear that the Biden administration will, just like with the minimum wage, carve that out and say, well, we can't get everything, so we're gonna get what we can. And sorry, trans folks, you're not gonna get equality. Do you have any sense yet of how hard they're going to um, uh, stand up for trans athletes and trans people? Or is that still developing?
2: Well, I, I think a good sign is the executive order that Biden signed on his first day in office, uh, uh, implementing the Bostock decision for the Supreme Court. There is a line in the executive order. Keep in mind that this executive order could have been a lot very vague and very simple in saying, "Oh yeah, implement the Bostock decision, Justice Department. I leave the details up to you, or federal agencies. I leave the details up to you." But no, in the preamble of this executive order. Biden explicitly writes: Children should be able to have access to bathrooms, locker rooms, and sports, and um, uh, you know, uh, just as any uh, across the board. So I think that is a very good sign. That was really, you know, drawing. I think that was really drawing a line in the sand. That this is explicitly what we're talking about. This is like there's not some vagaries here. This is exactly where the Biden administration wants to go. So, I, I mean, the trans community. I'm. I'm. In, I totally understand uh, the the long memories that the 2008 the, uh, for the 2008 uh, dropping of the trans I don't really see uh, dropping of the trans uh, like in terms of what's you know, like we saw like an end up back in two, uh, 2007 pardon me and uh, I do know that like there are some of these like um, I guess the turfs uh, or like this there's people who want to like these these groups appear to be a lot stronger than they used to be in recent years at least in terms of like their online presence uh, i think i saw one called the lgb alliance or something like that i don't think they have enough really uh political uh strength political organization really to have the, to forcefully make that kind of demand to uh to out and drop the, the the transgender community from uh this legislation so i would not fear that i think that we're that that the the prime people who are driving these things uh the organizations know that we need to have trans inclusion uh as part of all of our efforts so i wouldn't i i wouldn't i wouldn't throw that i do think that this transgender sports the sports issue itself when it comes to means that the equality act i think there's going to be kind of a this is going to be something that we are really going to have to fight uh, uh press up against because there's already a lot of uh you know republicans in the senate who are you know, fully embracing uh this you know, saw Rand Paul last mm-hmm. week in really uh transphobic language saying that the idea of trans athletes in school sports would be bizarre.
0: Yeah, and Romney came out right behind him mm-hmm. right. giving him a rubber stamp. Go, ha, ha, ha. But so it's but-
2: gonna be a fight. I, I will I will uh convey that. And as far as like whether like you know um but I, I think it's really a good sign that Biden's included that line in executive order saying that Children should be able to have access to locker rooms, bathrooms, and sports across the board.
1: Now, following up to that, I mean, you're talking about, yeah, the LGB Alliance, uh, also known as straight people trying to tell lesbian and gay people that their enemies are trans people. I, they're relatively new in the United States. They're big in the UK, though, also known as Turf Island. But there are some groups that have some sway. Alliance Defending Freedom. Heritage Foundation, focus on the family, and they have 150 members of Congress. Mm-hmm. Basically, the who I call the, I'm going to say it, who I call the Confederate Republicans, those 150 members who tried to take away a free vote, namely me being an African-American, my free vote. Are the, from what you're seeing and talking to sources and seeing the tenor, are the Democrats, how... How prepared are the Democrats for a protracted fight? How prepared are they to dig in? Be it this issue, be it the Equality Act, actually be it anything. Because those 150 are going to raise hell. Mm-hmm. You know it and I know it. Yeah. What, what are you seeing as far as Democratic operatives, staff, aides, and the elected officials themselves? Are they girding their loins for some combat coming? Well, are they prepared the- to do so?
2: Here's what I think. I think that looking at what's going on with the American Recovery Act, that's Biden's plan for COVID stimulus. I mean, there was some talk, uh, you want to get a bipartisan vote. um, And even like met with some Republican senators uh, to achieve that, at the end of the day, the Democrats said, you know what? We have, you know, the majority in Congress. So we're gonna, people gave us this majority. We're gonna exercise this majority. So we're gonna go with our plan in the House and the Senate. We're gonna use the- uh, The budget certainty. Yeah.
1: Yeah, are the budget reconciliation. Budget
2: reconciliation. So, that because it's a financial, it's a budget matter. They're gonna uh, just go with that. So, I think that that shows, like, okay, well, uh, that like there is like outreach for the other side, but there's also realization that hey, the people, the demo- people that give us a democratic majority, uh, you know, in, in Congress and in the White House this is what they wanted, and so uh, we have the votes, and we're gonna do what we, we can do with with that. So, I, I mean, I think that's gonna be a really good indication about. All the democrats are going to push all things you know including uh, you know lgbtq legislation uh, as this uh, as, as in the years ahead
1: well but also in that mind just going back quickly i want to get what was your take on ram paul versus versus education secretary designate cardona i mean what was your gut reaction to that
0: he's from connecticut by the way yes the
1: former education secretary, the former commissioner for education for the state of Connecticut.
0: Carly and I are in Connecticut.
1: Yeah, we we live there. And what were, what was your what was your gut thought on what you saw? Because for me, reading it, I was thinking like, "Go Cardona, attack, attack yeah. him." And what was your gut saying?
2: I mean, I thought Cardona was actually very respectful, very polite, but he held firm though. He says, "Well, you know, it's just the law that we have to give you know transgender kids access to." school access. And then Rand Paul was like saying, well, well, I guess you're not, you're not answering, but we know your answer from, we know what you're actually saying by three You're not answering. He kind of goes on this extended, like he, he had this whole thing prepared. It wouldn't even really matter what Cardona had said, and so he goes on quite a bit. And he talks about, you know, bizarre for certain, you know, uh, certain students to be for male students to be participating in, in female uh, and women's sports, which is not really the issue here with transgender inclusion in sports. And it was really, I think, he is really doing, because he was going on so long, he was really trying, doing some political pandering. He knows there are people out there, regrettably, you just mentioned them that, you know, Focus on the Family, Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, the Heritage Foundation. There are people out there who are willing to support him, give him money if he says things like that. And you could that was very clear out of that who so he was reaching out to, uh, reaching out to there.
1: Okay, I'm, I want to get a little, I want a quick follow-up, a little McLaughlin group for the people, if you remember that show. One being never going to happen, ten being universal certitude. What Will we see what we saw with Cardona even more intense when Rachel Levine faces the Senate?
0: Uh poor Dr. Rachel Levine.
2: I don't think I bet you for her confirmation hearing that the Republicans I I can see them not even showing up because I can just see that they're not going to have anything nice to say and uh, I don't know maybe that's maybe that's being a little too optimistic I mean she there's going to be it's going to be ugly for her confirmation battle but some I mean there has to be someone who has to be first I mean the confirmation battle is probably going to be ugly that was just like not that long ago for what's for uh, getting gay people confirmed I mean uh, Jim Hormel. Uh, wasn't able to get confirmed because he was gay and Republicans went against him and then the 90s, um uh, Roberta Atkinson, uh, like we don't want to confirm her because she's a damn lesbian and Moses is very explicit. so I think that I mean, somebody has to be first in order to warm people up with this now being of course, getting you know gay person getting getting confirmed it happens uh, you know not, not in uh, it happens uh, quite a bit, even in uh, there's a few people in the Trump administration too, but I mean, um, uh, so but I I do think it's going to be kind of ugly, but I wonder if like it's going to be so ugly that the Republicans aren't even going to show up, give her the dignity of showing up for a confirmation hearing. She's
0: incredibly strong. She is uh, an amazing speaker. I would predict, and I just, I hope I'm right, that she will give as great a performance as Pete Buttigieg did, coming in with facts and dismissing any BS. And I thought he was just spectacular at his uh, hearing. He had them out of his hand by the time it was over because everybody wants. A little piece of the Department of Transportation. They want their they want their bridges built. They want their buses to run. So, I'd like to just end this part of the the, the podcast by asking you, what do you see in terms of the future? Is this going to be um, a uh, a time where we really will see some unity, or is it just going to be more of the same? And I know you can't predict the future, but do you feel the feeling that we feel in the country that that at least there's a chance now if things are getting better?
2: As I said before, I'm an optimist, and I just kind of feel like the Biden administration wants to make things look like things are running as they were before. It's a return to normalcy, because it's a return to like getting things as you know getting things back to normal. That uh, we're going to go back to the to a greater sense of unity. I mean, this lack of cohesion has been happening for a long time. It just got really exacerbated. It got really worse. I, I think, uh, and you know, uh, uh after Trump, but, it, but I, and, and I don't think it's going to be like perfect unity. I, I just think that might, might be too much to ask for, but I do just, I'm an optimist. And I think that, uh, you know, that things will go back a little, the temperature is going to go down, I'll, I'll go down a little bit. I think, especially when COVID is gone, once once like there's like this virus, this virus is, is out of the picture, uh, which is keeping us from being, you know, keeping us physically separated. I think that that'll do a lot to help us getting a lot more, uh, a lot more uh, connected as a, you know, a national community.
1: Before we switch gears, I do want to give a take on Rachel Levine. I think I think the answer is going to be nine point five. The Republicans are going to show up. They're going to. they It may get ugly. I think she's going to be ready for it. So I'll say a nine point five on that one. But now switching gears, because one thing we, one thing you told us in the green room before we got going here, Chris, is that you're down with some Star Trek. We I am- like that. <laughs> we like that. Now, the first thing, have you been watching the new series that have come out?
2: Uh, I have seen. Uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of Discovery. I saw Picard, and I, I like that quite a bit. I still am a, like a bigger fan of like the 90s era um, Star Trek, like the Next Generation, uh, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. I think those are probably uh, the ones that are like I, I saw those growing up, and those are the ones that are a little more near and dear to my heart. I was. Like, over, like, the holidays, I was, like, rewatching some of these old episodes, and they were just, I just, admit, that was such, The Next Generation was such a good show. I mean, like, just something Agreed. like, writing,
0: right? Agreed. Amazing yeah. storytelling. And we, had, we had a guest from the Discovery series on. He's an actor, and he's married to one of the other actors on the show, and he talked to us about how much he loved Enterprise. Did you ever get to watch Star Trek Enterprise, which was probably the shortest run of all the series they had? Right. Uh, I did get to see that. I, I think...
2: And I mean, I, I still like I, I the the earlier ones that, that came before that I think are a little, are a little bit more are better in my uh, more close to my heart. But I've to a couple of Enterprise episodes, and <laughs> um, and I know that people like did not like the last uh, the finale of Enterprise when they basically made it <laughs> an, an extirpation episode. And I can totally understand that if you're yeah. if you're a fan of Enterprise, it's what you wanted to see. So now, growing
0: up, I used to love going to the movies to watch Star Trek on the big screen. I it was 14 when Star Trek the Motion Picture came mm-hmm. out, December 7th, 19. 19- 79, I remember the day. But Star Trek has really shifted now back into its original form to do TV more than anything. I'm not sure we'll ever see another Star Trek movie. Do you have a preference in terms of, I mean, I don't know how long it's been since you've been to the movies. It's been almost, no, it's been a year and a month. March was probably the last time I was in a movie theater. Do you have a preference as far as Star Trek on the big screen versus Star Trek on your TV big screen? It's a different feel because you need to have like a big plot in order to have
2: for a Star Trek movie and there's a lot of like fanciness and has to be, it be happening in two hours and it has to be really like dramatic. And the, so that has its, its place, but the Star Trek series, like you just kind of like, it's more, when it's an hour show, like an hour length, you kind of accept that this is going to be like incremental. Maybe we might be exploring like the, like the, one of the crew members a little bit more what they're all about, their, their, their character. Uh, we're going to have like a minor problem that we're gonna solve. It's gonna be something kind of interesting, but it be wrapped up in an hour. It's not gonna be like earth shattering. We don't have to like, you know, have the entire universe in, in jeopardy as we would in a movie really. So it's a little more modest. I think actually that, that creates some more interesting plots because that you can get a lot more technical, a lot more theoretical, um, you know, a lot more, you can kind of dive a little bit more into a certain character. You know, I was just thinking when you mentioned like the the scene the Star Trek, the motion picture, I went to go see Star Trek I um, I saw a number of Star Trek movies, but I distinctly remember going to see Star Trek: First Contact. The second next yes, year, <laughs> yes, yeah.
0: before a
2: great one. And I remember oh. this because that is the only time, like I, I probably like the peak time. I remember where the audience was just so engaged in the plot, like like I remember, um like you know, they thought the data had betrayed them, and then he was going to like nuke the. Uh, the uh, the, like the first uh, warp drive vessel when they went back in the past, and then it turns out that he wasn't, and he goes, "Resistance is futile." And the audience <laughs> cheers. <laughs> and then, like, then the, they come, then the aliens come down <laughs> to visit the Earth, and and then it turns out it's the Vulcans. Everybody goes, "Yay!" It's the Vulcans. And we're just so it had, because the movie is just so optimistic about the future. <laughs> I, I, I think really, people are drawn that, and I, I don't think I have ever to that extent for any movie had that same kind of. Uh, audience participation, audience, like that just kind of like that, you know, just everyone being very excited. I like, I mean, that happens to an extent, but sure. I mean, that was just like at peak, peak connection with the audience. And like, that, that's one thing I miss about going to movies these days. I hear you,
0: me too. I, I'm know that. So I saw Star Trek Four, The Voyage Home in San Francisco. Wow. And the audience mm-hmm. went wild when they visited San Francisco. It was just so much fun to see the people in the audience really just get into it. And the whole whale story was fun and everything. So that was like that kind of experience for me, but that's because I'm an old lady.
1: <laughs> no, I no, I'm with you on first contact because it was the same way. You know, when you when you get a, I remember seeing that on opening night, and it was basically a mini Star Trek convention. Mm-hmm. People, I mean, people came costumed. People, people were decked out in their were decked out in their Starfleet or Klingon or whatever fineries for this sort of thing. So no, I'm with you on that. for For me, my first my first Star Trek big screen experience was Wrath of Khan. And I love I love that movie and it was the same thing. You get a room full of trekkers together. Um but now what you're seeing is it's going small screen but they're still going big in big. Maybe not big in terms of panorama, but oh yeah, it's beautiful sets, beautiful everything, beautiful effects, but one thing, they're going big in terms of casting in diversity. Uh, especially bringing bring our community, our rainbow family into starfleet into the ships into the story i mean for yourself i mean what does that mean to you to see more to see more and more of our experience in that hopeful future now
2: well i mean star trek even back during the 60s was known for being really advanced like in accepting diversity i mean what we would see back like their version of diversity in the 60s of course we'd probably say that's really really old-fashioned but I mean, for but important,
1: time, but yeah. important. Yeah, for its
2: time, though, it was really adverse. and that, that continued throughout all the Star Trek series. Star Trek, I mean, there's, you know, uh, there's they've always made sure to have a uh, a diverse cast, and that was one thing that really made Star Trek stand out as a science, as a series, because there was really not a lot of other um, not a lot of other, uh, you know, especially in science fiction. I don't think that really achieved uh, that much diversity, and I mean, they didn't exactly, I can't, I, I think and, uh, like, you know, the LGBT side of it, they didn't really engage I, I, as much as they did with uh, racial and ethnic diversity. And I mean, the fact that they are recognizing that, that's gonna be part of our future too. And, and you know, and I mean, when I was growing up watching The Next Generation, I would have definitely, and I I, I, I would have, might have been able to sort things out a little bit more quickly if i had like there was a gay character on star uh, on star trek um and that sounds kind of like weird that you would base that kind of kind of the sex actually that uh, that self-realization on a tv show will and grace actually helped put things in perspective even though it's, it's kind of lame as that sounds because it's, an, it's a you know a network tv show but having seen like a positive depiction of a gay person on tv um uh, you know that really like showed. Oh, okay, it's like that because really like before Will and Grace, the, the depictions of gay people in the media were just not something I would be very uh, not just very, very
0: typical yeah. and, and, negative. And, and And trans people, if if we appeared on TV, it was as a prostitute or as a, a victim on Law and Order SVU. Hmm. So Biden himself said back in the Obama administration that Will and Grace is one of the reasons Americans started understanding and recognizing. Oh. Hmm. That's okay.
1: <laughs> but you know, something as, I mean, as hokey and maybe as awkward as it was, one thing is representation matters. Mm-hmm. And, not, and even if it's over, and even if it's not overt, even if it's covert representation, going to Star Trek real quick. It was also something important for me to see Paul Winfield, not only a black man, but an out and proud gay black man, still stigma in Hollywood at that time, wearing a Starfleet captain's uniform running a ship in command making decisions that meant a lot for me to see then and now so no rep- to me that representation it still matters uh, no matter how awkward it is even though now it's not even though now you're seeing more and more like on discovery you're seeing god you see you have a trans character you have a non-binary character you have openly gay characters not only being not being gay and being gay at the same time it's good to, to me. It's good to see. What do I do? To
0: see a gay man like you covering the White House. Yes. I hope you're just the first and not the last. I hope you're one of many soon. No offense. I know you love being the only one. But <laughs> we want to see more. We want to no. see more representation. And as Carly said, representation. But matters.
1: that's another thing. Just seeing seeing you and knowing that you're there, living your truth, but also giving the news and being in that press room every day. That's a big deal. I mean, I I remember I was. The first time, like, I have read your stuff, but hearing you talk about it when you were on the Sports Kiki earlier this year with Alex Reamer, that, that was a big deal because here's a person slugging it out in what had to be a very difficult situation in the, dealing with the Trump White House and dealing with, dealing with Kaylee and dealing with Sarah and dealing with Spicy and dealing with just... and dealing with that. I'm, but I'm curious, though. The big thing on my mind, going back to some Star Trek, Next Generation was your jam... DS9 was your jam, Voyager was your jam, the 90s, much like me. Who was your character? Who was the Chris Johnson go to character, Star Trek in the the next year in the 90s?
2: Data. Data. Because I always, I've always had this kind of like this weird feeling of being you know, especially growing up, I'm kind of like on the outside looking in and data kind of had that feeling too. He's trying to like understand humanity and become more human. And I, I, and I just kind of had that same kind of like that out, that, that, that same kind of uh, a feeling and approach to things. And, and then you saw data What was great about the next generation is that you saw like data make all this progress over the course of the seven years of that show. And gets a lot more of understanding of, of of humanity, but by the the time the uh, show came to an end. And it, it was just kind of, it was really wonderful to, uh, to make, you know, to see, to see uh, to have him, you know, see that kind of uh, that process and capturing that goal that he wanted. And uh, and so that's
0: probably the one who I most relate to is data. Well, thank you for being fully functional and helpful <laughs> and, and an exciting guest for us. And we hope to have you back. What we want more than anything is for you to continue to succeed. So congratulations yeah. on your nomination. Uh, we yes. hope to have good news when the awards are handed
1: out and keep in touch with us. Yes. Yeah. You got to come back.
0: All right. I, I I, definitely will. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Carly set coordinates for DC. Beam him on back to the swamp. <laughs> Chris,
1: thank you for joining us. Energize. Back to DC. I'll tell you, it was, it was great to have a trailblazer like a Chris Johnson on the show. And I look forward to seeing him continuing that press room, getting the facts and getting it for all of us.
0: I love politics. That's one of the reasons I got that job at Politico is I just see politics as as sports. Politics is the epitome of sports because it's about achieving, it's about overcoming, it's about winning and losing. And I just, uh, oh, I'm so jealous. I have to be honest, I would do anything to place with Chris for one day. But this is where I am, and I'm very happy to do it. Carly, I wish you a very pleasant week. Stay safe.
1: You too. Tell Everybody,
0: me. mask up, please. But when are the vagina monologues
1: going to be? Okay, March 5th, and it's going to be virtual this year. The folks at Dramatis Personae, the, the the student theater troupe at the University of Hartford, they're doing it all virtual this year because we're trying to stay safe, But we're but we've committed to doing it. So we're moving forward with it. March the 5th, 7 p.m.
0: At University of Hartford and on Zoom. Yes. Awesome. 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 Have a great week. See you next week. And I hope that you
1: live long and prosper. Study, as she goes.